If you have a child with type 1 diabetes, whether they were diagnosed five days ago or five years ago, you continue to have questions. These are the questions about the emotional side of living with diabetes, the questions about how to parent diabetes. I'm Joanne Robb, a psychotherapist and fellow T1D mom, and I've been parenting diabetes for almost 15 years. In this podcast, I'm here to answer your questions about the emotional and relational challenges that come with being a caregiver for a child with type 1 diabetes. Before we dive in, I have to remind you that I'm not a doctor and nothing that I offer here should be considered medical advice. If you want to make any changes to the way you or your child is managing their type 1, please be sure to check in with your doctor or medical team. Let's get started. Hello, everyone. Today for our podcast episode, I again have T1D parent extraordinaire Annie, and she is going to read a question that's come in from Worried in Portland, Oregon. Annie, welcome and thanks for being here again. Thank you for having me. This question reads, my 11-year-old son was diagnosed about five months ago. In a lot of ways, he seemed like he was taking all of it in stride. Of course, he wasn't thrilled that he was diagnosed with diabetes, but he was doing everything he could, learning how to count carbs, being cooperative about shots and about putting on his CGM, sharing with his teachers, etc. But the other night when his Dexcom expired, he asked if he could wait until the morning to put it on. When I said that we could do that, but we'd have to do a finger stick in the night, he then asked if we could skip his Lantus for the night. He said that he's starting to feel tired of diabetes. It freaked me out a little because I feel like he doesn't seem to understand that this is a lifelong thing and that he can't take these kinds of breaks because they could be fatal. I want him to understand that even if he's tired, he has to do hard things. Poor kid, right? Oh, poor, poor kid. Let's first think about this 11-year-old kid and what's happening for him. I have definitely seen a pattern. You know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of when a second child is born, right? And the first month when grandma's there and the baby is just a blob, the older kid is really good. They're doing really well with it. And later things get hard. Right. This is a lot like that. Right. The kids know that they have to pull themselves up by their bootstraps. They understand the task. They feel like they can conquer it. Kind of like we feel at the beginning, like we're going to do it. And then things start to get hard. Right. The reality starts to set in. Like, can we please send that baby back? It's a little bit like that. In some way, this feels incredibly, incredibly normal to me. And so it's so important that room get made for this child to have his true experience that's emerging of, I don't like this. I wish I could send this back. I didn't ask for this. I don't want this. So this is where doing strong and good validation of this child's experience is critical. Like, of course you don't want this. That makes so much sense. Yeah, for sure. You just said lots of validation. Can you give examples? What would that sound like? Yeah, sure. So for this child, it would sound something like, oh, sweetie, that makes so much sense. Of course, you don't want to wear your Dexcom tonight. And of course, you don't want to wear your, you know, get your Lantis shot because you didn't ask for this. And this actually is a lot. And we're figuring out that it's so much more than we ever could have imagined. And I'm sure it feels hard in your body. And I'm sure it feels hard emotionally. There's so many ways that you don't want this thing and you wish you could just step out of it and have your regular old life back. That makes so much sense. Right. So I think the keys here actually for validation are that gooey kind of, of course, and it makes so much sense kind of language. And if you 
can use that language and put it around what you imagine your child's hard experiences, then you're going to really get them to feel seen, heard, understood. Right. And that's so important in helping them feel like, actually, I believe that that's a way to help them feel like their diabetes isn't as burdensome because they're not as alone in it. A lot of kids do feel like, hey, you mom have no idea what this is like because it's not in your body. Absolutely true. Validate that. And they're going to feel a little calmer about that feeling when and if you can, you know, express what you're seeing them go through. Well, and one of the things that I can see as you're modeling that is part of it is tone of voice, right? That it's coming from your heart and coming from a place of empathy and not just coming from a more intellectual place that's like, oh, I get it, (laughs) you know, that can actually feel somewhat dismissive. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that one of the things that parents get frightened of about doing validations is they, they will give their kids permission to, for example, fall apart emotionally. And ironically, it's just the opposite. What we know about feeling validated is that people really, when they feel seen and heard, they can stand down those fight feelings that come up of feeling not understood. So, you know, is it magic? No. Is it important? Yes. For sure. And I think the other thing, though, is that this mom is saying that she's afraid that this could be fatal if, you know, if there's any kind of break or standing down. So I'm mm-hmm. what you think about that. Yeah. So that makes it super hard to validate, right? Because this mom is so wrapped up in how scary diabetes is and the idea of a break is that she's likely going to have a harder time validating this child's experience, right? Because she says she wants him to understand that even if he's tired, he has to do hard things. So it's going to be hard for her to validate. Yeah, I get why you don't want to. So what I want to name is that that stance as a parent is our work to do, right? And newly diagnosed parents often feel this way. This is super common. And as we go down this road and this journey, we recognize that there's a lot more flexibility, which isn't to say that you can skip your Lantus shot, right? You can't, but there is flexibility. So I think about, could this mom put the Dexcom on him while he's sleeping? That works for some kids. It doesn't work for other kids. Could this mom talking to her endo give the Lantus shot at a different time of day when maybe it feels less tiring to him? Like right before bed, he might feel kind of um, extra exhausted and he has to like, you know, hold himself together in a really hard and difficult way that maybe if he gives it first thing in the morning, it's not as hard. We're going to take a quick break and be back with more answers. Your child was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes in the last year, and you're still struggling with a feeling of mourning the loss of your healthy child. Sound familiar? If so, Sweet Talk's After Diagnosis Coaching Course was created with you in mind as a space to work through some of the emotional issues that come in the first year after your child was diagnosed, including that feeling of mourning. If you're ready to reduce the emotional impact of type 1 on your life, check out www.diabetessweettalk.courses. The other thing I wonder about here is she says that if he wants to not have his Dexcom on, then we'd have to do a finger stick in the night. And I think, who's we? Like, this is a situation where if you can just tiptoe in and do a finger stick and not wake him, it might feel like a break for him. Now, I want to name that mommies deserve sleep too. So that's not a lifelong solution. But if that is going to help him to take a break once in a while where that happens, I would consider offering that. 
this is one of the places where it's not a partnership, where we want to shoulder more of the burden for our children, because they're going to have to do this their whole lives. And they are going to do better at this if we can carry as much as we can for as long as we can. When you say this is the parents' work to do, it just reminded me, you know, when she says, even when he's tired, he has to do hard things. It just kind of reminded me of that. The way that I would get sometimes when I was feeling like so empathic Mm -hmm. and so like grief stricken for what my kid had to go through that I would sometimes overcompensate for that and be like, you just have to deal with it. (laughs) Um, Uh Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Oh, that's a really important point. Yeah. Yeah. It's sort of like we have to think about where does the anxiety come from, right? And for you, it came from like a deep fear and sadness about what your children had to manage. That's probably similar for most of us. There can be fear. Often I see it, a fear of my child's never going to be able to do this on their own. So I need them to show me right now, right now, right now that they can. Because if they can't demonstrate that, then I'm panicked that at 18, 20, whenever it is that I'm thinking of launching them into the world, they won't be able to. All of those things are tasks to hold on to and are tasks to work through and really don't relate at all to what our child's actual experience is. From 11 to 18 is like half a lifetime. I was thinking when you said that, 46. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's bubble wrap them until then. Yeah, right. Absolutely. Right. That's the feeling a lot of parents have is I'm never, it's both, I don't ever want to let them go because I'm so scared. And will they ever be able to be adults in the world? So I think that could be woven in here too. Right. And this idea that this mom says that worried from Oregon says, I want him to understand that even if he's tired, he has to do hard things. That's really painful. It's pushing onto this child, the worry that I'm imagining that she is expressing. So I encourage her to really pause, take a breath, think about where that worry comes from. This is some of the work I do in some of my coaching courses so that she can slow that down and not put that onto him. And I just want to normalize that sometimes my things like that, behavior like that, or thoughts like that came from my grief on behalf of my kid. And plenty of times it came from my overwhelm and grief on behalf of myself and how my life had changed. Absolutely. Right. It wasn't all altruistic. (laughs) (laughs) Right. You're being honest, right? Because it's hard. It was also for me. Yeah, absolutely. And still is. (laughs) Yeah, no, absolutely. It's a big job for us. And we do feel kind of sometimes panicked and overwhelmed that we're never going to see our way out of it. It's never going to get any easier than this for us, right? So I actually want to address one more thing about this situation for poor worried in Oregon, which is the idea of a diabetes vacation, which seems like not at all possible. Um, But it's something that a lot of people in the community encourage adults with T1D to consider how to do. So let me describe what that is. And then we can think about how a child might safely be able to do it and what might matter, right? So for adults, it's the idea of like maybe taking a pump vacation or a Dexcom vacation. Maybe it's the idea of if an adult knows that every time they eat a donut, they just can't seem to knock their dosing out of the park on that. And they always run high that they give themselves permission to eat the donut and run high for the day. It could be for an adult that they ask another person, a partner or a parent, if it's a young adult, to take care of everything for them for a day or a week. Could you please load all my pumps? Could I step away from as much of this as possible? 
we should think about how kids can also take diabetes vacations and what that means for them. And I would say that it should be an agreement so that it's not something that's invisible to the child. The child should know because probably you, the parent, are carrying it and you want them to see that you're supporting the idea of the break and that you're um, not so that they know you're doing work in the background so they feel grateful. It's not that at all, but they need to understand what it takes to do that. So it might be that they eat the donuts, right? That we're taking a diabetes vacation and today we're just going to eat a lot of food that we don't always eat, right? Because it's fun and we're not going to worry too much about the numbers. Like we'll dose, but we're not going to stress out about it. And that's true in many families, like not a lot of donuts happening. So just allow that as a diabetes vacation. It could be to take a pump vacation. I think that's definitely something to talk to a doctor about. It's not something to do lightly, but you can do it, right? And if doing multiple daily injections feels easier to a child to not be strapped up to all the equipment, then that's something you can consider doing as a diabetes vacation. So when this mom writes in and says, you know, he can't take these kinds of breaks, I want her to think creatively about how maybe he can take these kinds of breaks. Now he's new to this. So some of this is establishing good habits and sort of diabetes hygiene, right? That you change your Dexcom, that you give your Lantus. But some of it is about learning over time how to be flexible so it doesn't feel so burdensome. Yeah, and I think what you just said is part of why uh, naming it is something that you're taking on, not so they feel grateful, but part of what that does is it helps isolate it as this is an exception. That's right, yes. I agree. So it keeps it from, from interfering with the building of those good habits. Yes, I like that a lot. I think that the perfect example in this situation is the mom doing a finger stick in the night, right? That has to be an exception because no one wants to lose that much sleep. So to name, like, I'm totally happy to have you, to do the finger sticks in the night tonight so that you cannot wear the Dexcom and we'll just put it on in the morning, right? That names it. And I'm happy to do that for you occasionally. Like, you know, maybe every 10 days you have one night, you know, when you do the Dexcom change, you just have one night, something like that. Sounds good. Thanks, Annie, for being on the show. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. Thanks again for listening today. If you want answers to your questions about parenting a kid with type 1, I'd like to invite you to join our live recording sessions so you can ask your questions in person. Not only will you get the support you need and deserve, but through the podcast, you'll be helping other T1D parents to know that they're not alone with the challenges they're facing. To join one of my live recording sessions, simply go to www.diabetessweettalk.com and click the banner at the top of the page to register. Again, go to www www.diabetessweettalk.com and click the banner at the top of the page to register.